Good morning. If you're anything like me, you are welcoming a little bit of a refrain from the heat and a little bit of moisture in the air, um, but at the same time, you are probably thinking, wow, it's humid. And I still feel that even in here, and, uh, but I'll, you can't you know, be beggars and choosers, so I'll take both, the, both the blessings and the rain, right? Glad you're here this morning. Uh, to our guests and those uh, who are traveling, we are glad that you're here. We are wrapping up uh, a series that we've been in for several weeks now, and I wanted to, st- uh, talk- talking about the dash, the brevity of life, and I wanted to start with a, uh, a funeral home story. Have you heard of the funeral home? It's in South Carolina that decided to put a coffee shop in the funeral parlor. Have you heard about this? They, they put a contest out uh, to, the, uh, to the community to name this coffee shop. You can imagine there's some creative entries. I, I'm going to read the top two, all right? So came, coming in second, coffee shop at a funeral house. Remember this, okay? Still above grounds cafe. <laughs> Just wait for the number one. <laughs> number one. <laughs> Sorry. Time to meet your mocha. <laughs> I, I don't know what it got uh, named, but the reason, and, and I, I, this is, now this is, is serious. The owner of the funeral home was asked why he was putting in a coffee shop in his funeral house, and he said, to get the mourners' minds off of what's going on. What a horrible idea. I mean, just imagine that scene for a second. Oh, I'm so sorry we lost Billy. On, you know, that's next. Oh, yes, I would like a grande. Just, like, get your mind off of it. Why? That whole thing, that whole moment of the funeral, the whole moment is sacred space. We had one just yesterday. We're having another tomorrow here in our congregation, and it is a place that I don't want to be focused then on coffee. There's just something about that moment that the Bible doesn't tell us to to think less of the grave or to think less of our death. In fact, if anything, the Bible encourages us to think more, to think more of this concept that our life is just a breath. Our life is a mist. We're here today gone tomorrow. The whole premise of this series has been that our life is going to be represented on our tombstone by a little dash in between two dates. That little dash, though, has some huge significance if it's yours or if it's one of your loved ones or if you're a child of God. That dash can have some huge significance. See, the uncertainty of tomorrow should certainly affect our today. How we live in light of the grave, in light of eventual death, should affect everything that we do now. And that's been the premise of this series that we've been looking at. We've looked at advice from Moses. We've looked at advice from Solomon. We've looked at some, several advice, uh, a couple things from Jesus. Last week we looked at advice from Paul, and this morning we're going to look at advice from James. This is one of the passages that started the whole series, but we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper today. James 4, 13 says this, 
Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is this. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. What James, I believe, is saying here is, he says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're just missed. You might be missed tomorrow. You might be gone. But that doesn't fully affect our plans, does it? I'm sure most of you have made plans in your life, haven't you? Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You have this direction for your life. Maybe someone asks you whenever you're a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Those are your plans. Where are you going to college? Well, these are my plans. And we all put these plans into place. And a lot of our plans work, don't they? But a lot of plans don't. You ever had to take some detours on your plans? Have you ever had to kind of stop and make a t- pit stop on your way toward your plans? Because your plans aren't as set in stone as you would like them to be. Because some things happen. Sometimes life happens because we understand that, right? We understand that our plans don't always come to fruition because we can't control everything. And James wants to remind us that life cannot be fully planned out. You can't plan for everything. And so James gives us a couple ideas in this passage to guide us in the fact that we are simply missed. We are missed and we need to be guided by something that is much deeper than just a fog. And so this guiding he starts with comes here. He says, be guided by the sovereignty of God. I don't think James is condemning foresight. I don't think he's condemning uh, uh, having a plan. I don't think he's condemning some of the things that we do because the Bible obviously has some idea uh, to, to talk about our plans. Proverbs says this, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Solomon said, hey, good planning is not a bad thing. Scripture is not against your planning. It's not wrong to plan for the future. It's not wrong to have some insurance. It's not wrong to have a savings account, to have a retirement account, to have a plan for the future. Where it becomes a problem is whenever you don't take into account the uncountable things that might happen in your plans. Because sometimes our plans get foiled. There are some things that are out of control. But James is saying there are there's nothing that is out of God's control. God is in control of it all. And where we might have things that we're not in control of, it may be that we have health issues that we have no control over. We may have some economic issues that we have no control over. We may even have some relationship issues that we have no control over. We may have an effect We may be able to plan a good and positive effect in these things, but we still ultimately can't control others. We can't control other situations. We have to plan for the inevitable of things possibly going wrong. But you know, God doesn't have to plan for that. 
because there is nothing that is outside of God's control. That's what James is saying. If you want to be guided by anything because you're missed, because you are going to be here today and gone tomorrow, because you're just a fog, be guided by the sovereignty of God. He cannot go wrong. Follow him. Your plans will never be foiled. I think this is why James says, if it's the Lord's will, that, that phrase should be on our tongues. He says, you should say, if it's the Lord's will, then we'll do this or that. Now, he says that, but what does he mean? You ever thought about that phrase? Have you ever felt like it's just almost this, you know, get out of jail free card that you can tack on to the end of your prayers of saying, oh, Lord, you know, we really, we're praying that you heal, you know, this person, that person, you heal them. But you know what? If your will, you know, what, if your will is different, we will follow your will. You ever kind of feel like it's just this cliche phrase? What does that mean if, the, if it's the Lord's will? I believe James is saying that whenever we utter those words, we are tapping into this understanding that our will is not supreme. Your will is not God. It may be in line with God's will, and praise God if it is, but your will is not what rules the earth. Your will is simply your will. God's will is what reigns. And whenever we say, if the Lord wills, what we are saying is that we are going to adjust to unforeseen circumstances that God may have in store for me, even if it doesn't fit within my plans. Because God's will is going to guide me. He's going to guide me wherever he goes. Because that's what it looks like. I, tr I may not know, my plans may be foiled, but I trust that God has a plan in this, through this, around this situation. I trust that God has something in store. Let's look at how Paul lived this out through several of the passages in Scripture. Uh, Acts 18, verse 21, he says this. But as he left, well, this is, he was about to leave Corinth, and uh, it's a place where he stayed and ministered for a long, quite a long time. As he was leaving, he says this. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. 1 Corinthians, a little bit later, in 16, verse 7, he says this, For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. We're in Romans 1, in his introduction to the Christians there in Rome. He's never been there before, and he says this, One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. This is an apostle of God surrendering to the will of God. You would think of anybody, if anyone had a free pass, it would be the apostles, right? They, they would be able to say to God, hey, God, I'm going here. Wouldn't you want that to be blessed? I'm heading to Rome to encourage the church. God, don't you want that? Well, of course, God wants those things. But this isn't just a surrendering to his will. It's also a surrendering to his timing something that Paul could have no view of, or, or maybe a limited view of at best. He's surrendering to God, his will and his timing, which really leads to the second point and second understanding here, is that be guided, what James, I believe, is saying is be guided by doing the right thing 
right now. Be guided by doing the right thing right now. Because the thing is, you can't always plan for the future. You can't plan for the unexpected things that are going to happen. What you can do is live right, right now. James 4.17, let's go back to that passage. And and we, we already read it, but let's highlight and isolate this one. It says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I have heard this verse used out of context so many times, haven't you? This is a passage that we love to kind of pull out of context and apply it to whatever our situation might be. But what does this mean in context? What is the context that James has been talking about? He's been talking about our planning on the future, right? So I believe in context, what he's saying is he's talking about this idea of obsessing about tomorrow, saying, you know what, tomorrow we're going to go here and there, and we're going to do business, we're going to make some money, and then we're going to move on to this place, and we're looking forward. And again, that's not necessarily bad, but whenever that becomes our God, that's a problem. And he says, when you always are looking forward, you might miss what's happening right now. And so in the context of James 4, whenever he comes to this passage in 17, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. He's saying if you are constantly obsessing about tomorrow and not doing what needs to be done today, that is a sin. If you have this idea that, well, someday I'll forgive that person, someday I might ask for forgiveness, someday I might get my life straight, someday I might turn things around, guess what? That someday is never on the calendar. That someday may never come and you will have eternity to regret that you never did action today that you should have done. That's what James is saying. He goes, it is a separation from God. It is a sin to know what you ought to do now and to let that moment pass you by. John Lennon, I think, hit, hit upon an idea of this very well in his song, uh, Beautiful Boy. That there's a line that says, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. What a powerful phrase. When you're busy making these other plans and you miss what's going on right here, or maybe the whole cats in the cradle thing uh, is, is more your style or more your speed, it's the same kind of understanding of saying, I got these plans, and you miss what's happening in the moment. The Bible is telling us that if you know the right thing to do right now, you should do that. And then in the next moment, if you know the right thing to do then, you do that. And each and every moment, you choose righteous living, which is the right thing to do. Galatians 6.10 says it this way. Therefore, whenever you have the opportunity... You should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Every opportunity, every moment, take every one of them, not just some of them, every one, because every moment is valuable. In fact, I think James is kind of hitting against this idea that that even we can be susceptible to. We get the mountaintop, you know, camp high experience, and and one of the things that we can be susceptible to, whatever it might be for us now, is that I'm looking forward to that day whenever we have this event, whenever we have this, you know, 
fill-in preacher who's really going to be awesome because I'm tired of Mitch. We have this, whoever it might be or whatever thing it might be going on, and we look forward to that saying, that's when God's going to show up. That's whenever I'm going to feel so close to God, and we miss what God is doing now because we have lifted our eyes way past hoping to see something then. And that's not necessarily a problem unless we're missing what is today. Because every moment has God in it. Let that soak in for a second. How many moments of your life seem pretty mundane? How many moments of your life that you wish you could have gotten back? You know, you had the coworker at the water cooler that just decided to talk about the stuff that you didn't care to talk about. You're like, man, that's 10 minutes that I can't get back in my life. And so you consider those 10 minutes wasted. Do you think God ever considers time wasted? Do you think there's ever a moment that God is like, well, you know what? I guess don't really care about those 10 minutes. Let the world do whatever it wants. And I'm pretty sure every moment God is sitting there going, hey, here's an opportunity. Hey, there's something right here. What are you going to do with it? I'm always amazed um, at the idea of interruptions. I don't, there's a lot of different personality traits on how to handle interruptions. I, I don't know how you do it. Some people handle them really well. Some people don't. Um, I'm always amazed how Jesus handles interruptions. If you look throughout Scripture, he's interrupted a lot. And did you notice that pretty much every time he's interrupted, he handles it with such grace? It's almost as if he doesn't view the interruption as, a, as an interruption from his work, the work that he has to do as getting in the way. It's almost as he views the interruption as part of his work. What if we looked at our little interruptions like that? What if we started taking hold of every moment? As I close this series, here's the thing. Here's the one point. We've talked a lot about different things, uh, about what it is to, to live in light of the grave, to live the dash in a way that matters. You may remember someday, you know, someday you may pass a, uh, a graveyard and you'll look over and think, you know, Mitch preached a series on the dash, and if you don't remember anything about it, here's the, here's the Cliff Notes version that I want you to take home. My whole goal for you. My hope for you is that you are living now, right now, that if you found out that you don't have much time to live, you wouldn't have to change a thing. Every piece of your life is, try, is striving to honor God. And so if you found out, you know what, I'm going to die tomorrow, you wouldn't have this huge checklist of saying, oh, I better turn my life around. Because you've already done that. You've already made the decision to follow God, be, let him guide you wherever, whenever, doing the right thing at the right moment, being guided by the supremacy of God. And so you won't have to have regret. So the thing that I want you to do is truly live how God wants you to live. And if you can do that, you will enter into what is called the blessed life. The life that everyone truly desires. So this morning, if you have any desire, if you have not taken the steps to enter into that life by making Jesus your Lord and Savior through the waters of baptism, if you have not renewed uh, your commitment, if you've strayed away and want to come back, I want you to know that this life is a life that is truly worth it, but it's not necessarily a life away from pain, 
It's a life that teaches you through the pain how to live and how to truly live. So this morning, if you have any need, would you let it be known? Come forward as we stand and as we sing.